And so I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to like, what is the sexual journey that your women go on in terms of, um, I'm imagining some of them show up maybe closed down or shut down to kind of owning their sexuality more. Like what, what is that like? Connect to the pussy. Dear men, today we are talking about what does it mean for women to do the work? So on this podcast, we frequently talk about doing the work and a man who's doing his work or who has done his work. And we had a whole episode on what it means to do the work. And I think, um, yeah, I really wanted to give a little insight into the other side of what it means for women to do the work. So I'm delighted to have Violet back. Thank you for being a regular guest. My pleasure. And, um, yeah, so we're just gonna dive in. Violet, you work with women specifically on dating and sex and relationships and all that. So Jason and I run Pillars of Presence, which is a program for men around transformation in dating and relationships and sex. And you basically run the equivalent program only for women. So I'm curious to hear what do women come to you for? They're, they're obviously struggling in their dating or, or relationship lives. So what, what is the, um, What's an archetype of some women that are coming to you for help and what are they coming for? That's a great question, Mel. And the program is called Queens of Pleasure, which describes the two things that women are often not embodying when they come to me. And they may not realize this, but when they come to me, they're usually not in their power or their sovereignty. They've given too much of themselves. They haven't set healthy boundaries. They've gotten disconnected from their long-term vision and what they really want, their deepest heart's desires in just the scuffle of modern dating, or they've lost touch with their pleasure. They don't know what it means to feel good. They're not sure what feminine energy is. They just kind of go with whatever the guy says or, or the woman says if it's a same-sex relationship. Or they also don't maybe connect with their sexuality, think love is companionship alone and not about the erotic nature of a relationship. That's so. It's so interesting because when you were listing out the 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 reasons they come, I was nodding along. I was like, yeah, a lot of our guys come for exactly the same reasons. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting to think that, I mean, it makes sense, but I think that a lot of times it's hard for, especially in heterosexual relationships to, to keep in mind that the quote unquote other side also has challenges. I think it can be easy to just kind of project onto them. Like it's easier you know, like a lot of women sort of think it's easier for men and men think it's easier for women. And, and, you know, that kind of thing when actually a lot of men and women are struggling with the same things, giving away their power, not necessarily standing up for themselves in relationship, um, establishing healthy boundaries, uh, you know, you know, getting second dates. Like that's something that we'll talk Mm -hmm. about, but some, some of your women are like, I can, I can, it's hard for me to get a date. It's hard for me to get a second date. I don't know why men just kind of fall off. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't understand. Like what is going on? Why isn't this working for me? Absolutely. Yeah. In terms of what people are experiencing where there's a disconnect, the things I shared with you are more of the, like the diagnosis or the path, the pathway to getting what you want in relationship. But when people are 
sitting in the part of their life that's not working in their dating or their love life, it's oftentimes just what you said. I can't get a second date or, you know, all the people who like me, I'm not interested in. And all the people that I like won't give me the time of day. Or I don't know how to use the apps because I just got out of a divorce and I was married for 25 years and I have no idea how to date. Or how do I date during COVID? You know, it's, it's changed everything because I used to be able to just go to a bar or go to an event. Or I'm shy. I don't know how to flirt. Or how come I'm just attracting men who just want sex? Or how come I can't get into an actual committed relationship? I can meet guys. I can go on two, three, four, five dates, but I can't actually get it to be committed or I can't get it to be, um, you know, engagement or marriage or living together. That was a great list. Like I, I, again, a lot of, I think our, our men that come through our program are showing up with a lot of those same, um, I would call them symptoms, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I especially wanted to highlight the, like, I can, um, I thought it was interesting. You said for women, it's like, I can get like a few dates, but I can't get the man to commit to me. Right. And there's, there's obviously a desire there. She wants a man to commit to her, but it's not happening. And she's sort of, again, she's sort of like, why, like what, what is happening? What is wrong with me? And I would imagine on top of that, you know, you mentioned getting out of a divorce. And I think, you know, many of our men that come through are either in the process of getting divorced or they are just post-divorce or they're a few years out. Um, but there's sort of that sense of like, shit, I don't know how to date. I haven't done this in a really long time. I don't really know what the protocol is. Uh, so I'm wondering, um, in, in, in the case of, of the women you work with, is it also a, a set, is there a sense of like, will I be desirable to men? Because I feel like that desirability component is especially harsh for women in our culture. And I'm wondering, does that show up? Of like, am I too old? Are they going to think I'm attractive? Like is, what does insecurity look like in the women that show up? Oh my gosh. I think insecurity is rampant for not just women I work with, just for women in general. I mean, I struggle with that too, even though I've done a shit ton of work on myself. So I think it shows up in both the physical, like, will I get a date? Will people like my profile? Will they like my pictures? Will I get any interest on the apps? If I'm out and about, you know, kind of pre-COVID times, will anyone approach me? Are they mainly just talking to my friend? And that's kind of a bummer. Um, Will I get a second or a third date? you know, depending on if I show up, should I wear the, what should I wear on the date? You know, should I offer to pay? Is it okay if I just let him pay? Like there's all these insecurities about appearance, but then insecurities about actions. And then also about texting, like, oh, did I send him one too many texts? Or, you know, maybe I should have made a joke or there's just so much second guessing that happens. And then also around sex, you know, if I wait to have sex, will he still be interested if I don't wait to have sex, will he still be interested? Um, there's a lot wrapped up in when to have sex and how to be sexy and how to be genuine. And then if you are someone who's really sex positive and wants to have sex early and often, like, will you be judged? Will you be labeled? There's a lot of categorization that women feel like happens where men put them in, in certain boxes. I don't actually think that's the reality. I don't think men judge women that way, but I think we're terrified of being judged because we want to be cherished. Yeah. And I think even there's a, there's a consciously judging and then there's an unconscious or a subconscious judgment, because I do think that we've all grown up in a sexist culture. And so kind of like unconscious racist bias, we all have biases, including other women about what's slutty. Right. And so 
you know, you might not be consciously aware of, of slut shaming, but you might unconsciously slut shame someone. And, and like you said, I think a lot of us women are, are scared of like, how is our sexual behavior going to be viewed? And are we going to lose someone if we have sex with him too early? Or, you know, if we ask him to wait or we want to wait, like, is he going to stick around? I think that's, that, that is definitely an insecurity that I've heard many times. Absolutely. Okay. So now let's say a woman has arrived and she is, um, she's just out of a divorce. She's sort of insecure about all of these things. She's been on the apps, but it's not really working for her. She's pretty discouraged. I'm imagining at this point, (laughs) is this ever going to happen for me? Should I just give up on my dream of a relationship? Am I broken? All of that stuff. And what, what does it mean for her to do the work? What does it mean for a woman to do the work? I love this question because we have a societal view of what it might mean to be a woman, to be feminine, to be desirable. And oftentimes that doesn't relate to the deep work, but the deep work doesn't negate doing some of those other things too. So, you know, there's these emphasized feminine qualities of beauty based on body shape, based on um, makeup based on hair, based on clothes. And so much of that is superficial and it might be enough to get a date or a few dates, but then we need to come in with depth and with vulnerability and with deep self-awareness so that we can articulate, Oh, that doesn't feel good. Or that does feel really good to do more of that. So building the self-awareness is probably the most important thing when it comes to doing the work. And then being able to translate that self-awareness into authentic communication and meaningful dialogue and speaking your truth and, and setting healthy boundaries. And what I find is if we focus just on the emphasized femininities, then it kind of falls flat or we attract a partner who's not very deep either. Someone who maybe doesn't want commitment or someone who's um, just looking for a good time, but not really looking for a, a deep or connected or committed relationship And the best part, the most fun thing is when I see a woman who does the work about self-awareness, about embodiment, which is something we can talk more about too, about integrating her head, her heart, and her body instead of just dating from one of those places. And then when she comes back to those feminine qualities that are more, I'll call superficial, it's from an authentic and grounded place. So she's dressing because it makes her feel sexy and amazing and like a goddess, not dressing because that's what she saw on Pinterest. You know, she's dressing or she's moving in a way that feels good in her body, that feels orgasmic and pleasurable, not because someone told her like, oh, stick your butt out. You know, she's, she's owning her sliver or her, her blueprint of feminine energy and her way of being in her body in a way that's super magnetic because it's authentic and it's deep. And it may still have those, what I'll call superficial qualities of beauty, but it has a deeper transmission of radiance. And that's actually what's magnetizing is the radiance, not just the, the superficial piece. Yeah. I like what you're saying there. Cause it's sort of like, it's like extrinsic motivation versus intrinsic. So if I'm, you know, like extrinsically motivated. I'm like, Oh, I should wear makeup on this date so that I look good so that he likes me. I should wear this dress over this dress. There's a lot of sort of like, it's coming from your head, right? Like if I imagine being, being that woman, it's like there, it's coming from insecurity and and sort of like calculating, like I should do this, do that. It should look this way. This is what I see in magazines or online or on Instagram. Therefore I'm doing it, which is sort of like based on my head. 
versus after I do the work, I'm living in my body. I feel good. I'm like, Ooh, yeah, I want to wear this dress. Like this feels good. I'm like, yes, I love this new eyeshadow I got. And, and so it might be the same actions. It might be the same makeup, the same dress. Like we're, and we're talking about superficial things right now, but what you're saying is it's coming from a different place. It's coming from her hips. It's coming from her, her, like her body. She's like, I'm excited about this. Like this makes me feel good. I feel great in this outfit. I'm expressing myself. Like it's a different quality of motivation and the way that shows up is then different. It shows up as magnetic. It shows up as radiant. It shows up as irresistible because Mm -hmm. it's physically embodied instead of I'm thinking about this. I'm in my head. I'm kind of like, you know, kind of in my, in my masculine a little bit, even if the end product might look like what it looks like on Instagram. Absolutely. And it's kind of like if you opened up Waze or another GPS app and they show you an ad and you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go to Home Depot or Arby's or wherever versus like kind of knowing where it is that you want to go. But instead of it being like a, you know, I'm trying to get this person's attention. It's more like, how can I make love to myself? How can I make love to the universe? How can I let divine love flow through my body? Because it just feels good versus because I think it's going to get me something. Yeah. And, you know, we've mentioned feeling good and pleasure and like, Ooh, I, I feel good. I, I want to wear this because it feels good. Um, my understanding of a lot of the work that you do with women and my own journey, I would say moving from more being more second stage to third stage. So being in my masculine more to being in my feminine has been a lot of kind of like, Oh, what feels good and doing what feels good and putting a premium on that. Like, like, prioritizing it in a way rather than, Oh, I'll fit this in. (laughs) Right. Like, I think, um, I I would love to hear a little bit more of that in terms of your work with women, like where does pleasure come in and how does it, how does it serve women in particular, the feminine, I guess. Pleasure is the first thing that I work with women on is what does it mean to feel good? What does it mean to feel pleasure? Our society has mislabeled pleasure as something that's sexual, and it's so much more than that. And if we don't know what feels good in our bodies, A, we can't express that to the masculine, which helps orient the masculine. Our pleasure gives the masculine feedback. When they see us in their pleasure, they're like, oh, okay, I need to do more of that. Like, she really likes it when I call her. She really likes it when I plan a date. Or she really likes it when I, um, you know, pick a flower for her. It can be just something simple our pleasure and then our displeasure also is feedback for the masculine, but our displeasure is more trustable when we're living for the most part in our pleasure versus always being in quotations like nagging or finding what, what isn't working. So pleasure is important because that is the currency of feminine energy Our feminine energy flows through pleasure. It's what helps us expand to feel seen, to feel safe, to feel connected to our body and when I help a woman, you know, find her pleasure, it's different for every woman. I, you know, I can't say that there's one specific thing, which is why you have to do the work. You have to have a mentor or a guide or someone to help you discover for yourself. What is pleasure? What is feminine intuition? What is embodiment? Because if you just go off what you think will be pleasurable, oftentimes what I think will be pleasurable is different than what is actually pleasurable. So now if I were to open the fridge or something, I might be thinking, well, I should have a salad. But if I want the macaroni and cheese, I've learned by now, like just eat whatever it is I really want. And I don't mean to minimize 
food and, and, you know, all of those things. But for me, following my pleasure always leads to the best outcome. Yeah. And it, it feels like part of what's important there is what you said about living from pleasure more of the time than not, and being conscious of what that means. And what I mean by that is if you're a woman and you're, let's say you're a lawyer, you spend a lot of your time kind of in your masculine doing, doing, going, achieving, you know, documenting things like a lot of sort of, uh, regimented work. And then you're, you're off work and you're just watching Netflix. Like Netflix is your way of kind of like winding down and, you know, de-stressing. There's not really a lot of embodiment there in terms of, of pleasure work. Right. And so if you're spending time kind of in your masculine at work and then you're approaching dating kind of in your masculine, like, okay, got to spend some time on the apps, you know, got to set up some dates. Like if you're, if you're kind of approaching it in that way, like I'm, I'm imagining you worked with some women like that, where they're sort of nest, sort of approaching dating, like a job or like interviewing or things like that. What, what, um, how does that go for those women? And what, how do you teach them about their pleasure practices in their actual lives? Like, what does this look like on the ground? Yes. So I believe dating is an energy game, not a numbers game, especially for women, which means you could be having a nice conversation on the apps with just two or three people. And that can lead to a long-term partner. A lot of the women I work with have a hard time realizing that less is more, that you don't have to swipe through 200 people in order to find a date. I mean, if you want to, you can, um, but it's more about being aligned. Like I said, your head, your heart, your body, integrating those things and feeling pleasure in small things, whether it's just noticing when your heart expands or when you feel more connected to the juiciness in your body or in your hips. And when we, don't have that embodiment. Like you said, we kind of treat dating as a job. We think it's a numbers game more, more, more. I know there are some dating coaches who talk about have your man funnel and it just doesn't feel right in my body, nor does it work that way with a lot of my clients. They end up exhausted and frustrated and delete the apps versus just focusing on the connections that feel good, being vulnerable, setting healthy boundaries, asking for what you want, and then dating with intention. I mean, part of the pleasure is I rewrite their profile for them and I help them select their pictures and I help them date in a way that that really feels good so that they don't have to go against their feminine energy. Yeah, I I I want to talk about that feminine energy for a second, specifically in terms of sort of a woman who's showing up more in her masculine like it feels like part of what you're talking about is learning how to relax and receive as the feminine rather than do and achieve. And I guess, you know, for a lot of the guys that we work with in our program, some of what they're learning how to do is lead. They're learning how to lead like from an authentic place that feels good to them in a healthy way. And, um, and, and for the feminine on the other side, would you say that one of the main things that your women are learning how to do is to relax and receive, like, have they been going, going, going? Is that like, what are they, where's their transformation in terms of like, Oh, I have to learn a new way of being. I have an example of this. So one of the women that I've worked with who is a graduate, she, when she came to me, she was more in her masculine. She has a military background and then a business background and has been a single mom for many, many years 
and her life was working in quotations and that everything was arranged and efficient, but she wanted partnership. And she knew that part of that was because of, of her following me and everything was finding her feminine energy and embracing it. And so in the past, she would say things like, okay, well, what should I say in this text? Or, you know, how do I get in my feminine? Or, you know, he wants to do this, but here's what I really want to do. And, and there was just a lot of mental energy. And then she posted something in our graduates group the other day about the guy that she's been dating for a little while saying that they were kayaking. And he said, well, where do you want to kayak to? And she's like, I am just having so much fun just bobbing around here. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't really care. Like, look at that lily pad. Look at this. Like everything is just so beautiful right now. And he's like, huh? Okay. Like he didn't quite understand the masculine didn't really understand her, her lack of direction for better words. But then a few minutes later, he's like, why don't we race over to that point? And so then he like really got into his masculine and led was like, let's go over to this place. She's like, I don't know about racing, but you know, they ended up having like a lot of fun and um, they were on a bike ride a few days later. And he said, well, what are you thinking about? And she said, oh, I was thinking about spring and wondering if there's any deer out here. And I was really noticing how beautiful those colors were. And meanwhile, he had been going on and on and on about a work situation. And it's not that she wasn't listening to him, but she was just very attuned to nature and being in the moment. And I was so proud of her because in both of those cases, I could feel, and she was expressing how he was enamored by her, like her connection to life, her connection to her pleasure, her connection to her body, her connection to the natural world. And, and she was in a place where she totally not only trusted his leadership, but trusted that she didn't need to be efficient or productive in that moment or opinionated. I love that story. I, you know, one thing that jumps out at me from that story is trust. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, um, trust is, it's a big deal on both sides of the equation and learning to trust again, especially if you've been hurt, I would imagine is part of the journey for your women. Um, and I'm wondering if you, you have any thoughts on that? Like how have you worked with women around trusting the masculine? Cause that's a deep, deep need for the masculine, right? They want to be trusted. They want to be seen as, as trustworthy and they really want to be yeah, I don't know. They want to be trustworthy and they want to be seen as trustworthy. And if a woman really can't trust a man, how's that going to go for her in her dating life? Yes. I want to talk about that in just a second. I want to clarify because in my last response, I said opinionated and I want to be very clear. This doesn't mean that you need to sit on your hands or be sweet and nice and that you can't have strong opinions. I think a lot of amazing women have strong opinions. So there's nothing wrong with that. What I was speaking to is more this part of us that wants to get it right and, and know the right thing to do and have our shit together for lack of a better word, and to be in a place where we can make the most efficient thing. So if, if someone was building an Ikea table with their partner, if she was like, well, this goes here and this goes there and this is the next thing to do. I mean, that's fine, but she's going to be more in her masculine versus like, huh, okay, what's the next step? Uh, let's figure this out. I'm not sure what the next, you know, not that you should ever play dumb. This is not about that. This is just about letting go of our addiction to perfection and efficiency and productivity and always knowing the right answer so that we can just be more present and surrendered in the moment and experience that gift of masculine direction and leadership. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I fall into that category. Like I feel like I was raised to be a perfectionist and 
to have everything together. And I, I'm a high achiever. I've been, you know, I went to good schools. It was sort of drilled into me. And I feel like a lot of my journey in terms of becoming more open and more receptive and stepping into my feminine more and living from that place more has absolutely been about letting go of that perfectionism and being able to say like, I don't know what's next. I don't know what to do right now. I'm not sure. And like you said, it's not for me, it's not a position of weakness. It's rather like a position of like, of openness. Whereas before I wasn't, I wasn't there. I was like, I have to know, like I'll power through, I'll figure it out. I'll like, I wasn't willing to hang out in uncertainty and I wasn't willing to kind of like, um, yeah, I wasn't really willing to relinquish control essentially. And I think that's such a critical part of stepping into your feminine, whether you're in a male body or female body, we both, like, we all need both of these energies in our lives. And that, that it kind of was blocking me in a lot of ways. And honestly, it was leading to a lot of stress. Like I felt like I always had to know and had to figure things out. And so I would spin a lot. I was in my head. I was more anxious. It was like, I had to figure it all out and I had to figure it all out now. Like there was no time or room or space to be like, huh, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do about this situation. Like I'm going to let it unfold. Like there's just, it feels like when I'm in my feminine now, it just feels like there's more space and there's more time and I allow things to arrive instead of pursuing them. Absolutely. And I think that's a more, not more, it's not comparative. It's a very wise thing. I mean, the divine flows through us through intuition and not just us and women bodies and but in male bodies too, like there is a sageness to saying, I actually don't know. And, and being like you said, in that unknown, but I want to circle back to the question you asked about trust, because it's been a big part of my journey. I had a lot of trust issues. I had childhood sexual abuse. I dated guys who cheated on me and were narcissists and all sorts of things. And trust was a big journey for me with my husband, Jason, not because he ever did anything wrong, but because I was still learning about trust and from what I've guess, you know, experienced and what I've worked with my clients on, it's really hard to trust someone else when we can't trust ourselves because then there'll always be this, well, I think they're trustworthy or blind trust. And I'm not advocating blind trust by any means, but when we can trust ourselves that no matter what, you know, we'll be able to figure it out with the divine, with our friends, with, with any sort of support. It doesn't mean this fierce independence. It just means trusting that we will be okay. And so we don't have to attach to this particular person or to them planning the perfect date. Like our expectations can soften because we realize that we're just here for fun and it's going to be a great time no matter what. And we can get our needs met, whether it's this particular person in this particular way that's doing it, which is why the stages that we've talked about in other episodes are so important because if you don't go through stage two of feminine energy, which is adopting a little bit more of your masculine and being able to have more agency, you'll probably fall into the blind trust pattern or the manipulative, you know, I'm going to do something manipulative in order for him to give me what I want versus just trusting that whether he gives you exactly what you want in that moment or a month from then, or a week from then, or never, that his leadership is actually bringing you to a place that you couldn't have even brought yourself. But I think that level of deep trust requires being more in that stage three feminine, where you know you can trust yourself, so no matter what happens, you'll be okay, but you can then give your trust as a gift to your partner or as a gift to your date, 
and experience the joy of the moment as you dance with those polarities versus wanting your partner to get it right in order to meet your expectations in order for you to feel safe. Yeah. And I just want to highlight like your journey has involved, you know, hiring mentors, you've hired coaches, you've hired sexuality coaches for yourself. You've done somatic therapy. You've done women's circles. Like you've been involved in like your healing journey has been active. You didn't just wake up one day and be like, I think I'd like to trust myself more. Like, <laughs> you know, can you speak a little bit to what you, you know, how that went for you in terms of your, your journey getting there? Yes, I really want to, because a lot of times I think men think, well, yeah, a woman is paying for her bikini wax or paying for her shoes. And I think men don't realize that we're also paying for the ways that we need to be supported and the ways that we need to heal. And before we can call in healthy masculine, we've got to be our own healthy masculine and finding resources and providing direction and resources for ourselves. And I really think man or woman, anyone who wants to be in a healthy relationship, it requires more than just reading books. I think books are great. It's an, it's an informational way to get info, to get um, new perspectives, but there's often a huge disconnect from what we read and then what it's really like in practice. And the reason why is because relationship is more than just our frontal cortex. It's our limbic system. It's our primal brain. And those things get activated when we're under stress or anxiety, when attachment issues come up, when there's fight or flight and we're feeling nervous about how the date's going to go, or especially when we're flooded with hormones after having sex. And so, yes, as you said, in my journey, I did somatic therapy. I had mentors. I had coaches. I went deep into sexuality and I did a lot of workshops and other things too. But to me, it's helpful to have something long-term you know, I work with my clients long-term. We, we normally work three to six months, but even after they graduate, you know, a woman in my, in my grads group just got engaged either yesterday or the day before. And she started with me two years ago on Labor Day. So I've been part of her journey for a really long time. We have alumni calls three times a month. So there's lots of support because feminine energy grows through connection and masculine energy grows through achievement and sometimes through space and, and through freedom and through challenge. Um, to make a long story short, I think it's important to have a long-term community and or mentor and then have small bursts of things like, Ooh, okay. Now I want to learn about, um, cervical orgasms. I mean, I, I, we cover that in the, in my work, but if I didn't cover that, you know, maybe that's someone that someone someone, something that someone wants to go explore, or, you know, I've loved learning about attachment style. I think I need to dive much deeper into my attachment style. Let me go work with a therapist who specializes in this attachment thing, or, you know, I'm dating someone and it's going pretty well, but I think that we've got some edges we can explore. Let's go do a workshop together. So it's important to have sprints and also recognize that it's a marathon and having some consistency can be really beneficial. Yeah. And I, I think it's worth, you know, mentioning my own journey includes the things that you mentioned. I, I still get somatic therapy at least once a week. Um, and I mean, over the years, I probably invested like tens of thousands of dollars in myself, in my own growth. Like some of, like you said, it's like books are only going to get you so far. And at some point you're going to need to, to take more steps and to get to get more support because I, I don't really think like without that, anyone that has any kind of trauma in their background, which is most of us, 
like you got to get your hands dirty, right? Like there's a certain amount of, um, yeah, of that, of that kind of work that must be done. Um, and so I'm curious, like, do you, do you recommend that for your, for your women? Like do a lot of your women, you know, also get somatic therapy and, and do, do all of those things as well? Like what's their, what's their experience? Truthfully, most women who come to me have already done some sort of healing work. They've either had a somatic therapist or a talk therapist. They've done workshops or maybe even worked with other coaches and they want someone to pull the pieces together and help them to, I don't want to say finish their journey. Cause when you get into relationship, it's not like you all of a sudden put your feet up and say, okay, I'm good, but they've already done some sort of self inquiry and some sort of self work. I, I will get people sometimes who've never seen a therapist or never done any work, but usually there's a deep hunger for them to get the skills and get the tools and Oftentimes then in tandem to the work that they're doing, or maybe later, they'll get a therapist to help them work through, like I said, a very, you know, particular issue or a particular uh, trauma from their, from their past. I mean, I'm thinking of another client who actually got engaged in July and actually lives in LA and uh, I won't give her name, but uh, I think you may know her from authentic LA communities, but she worked with me. And then she had some stuff come up that was more health related. But while she was taking a pause from our work together, she decided to work with a therapist about some childhood things that had come up. And then she came back to finish out her work with me. And now she's engaged. And and obviously, she did a lot of different things. So I'm not just taking all of the credit. But there is an importance to have different tools in your toolbox and support from different places. Absolutely. But the days are gone where we can just put on some lipstick and go to a bar and expect to to meet our partner. And I feel the reason why is because there's not as many stage one men anymore. A lot of men that are in the younger generations are already in stage two masculine, which means they're a little more in touch and they're feminine. They might be worried about approaching women because of me too and other things. They may have seen their fathers away and distant and workaholics and more stage one, and they don't want to be like that. So they've adopted some of the qualities they saw in their mothers. And so women who are under 40 are already meeting a lot of men who are stage two, which is probably a good thing. They're not meeting a lot of stage one people, but what I'm trying to say is if you just want someone who is going to have a six pack and a great job, a, the relationship will not last. There's way too high of uh, statistics for divorce. I think 60% of divorces are for people under 39 and then B like, there's just not that many people out there like that. And so you might as well do the work to move from stage one to two to three or from stage two to stage three. So most of the women I work with are in stage two and they come to work with me and I help them move into stage three. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, in terms of when you're, when you're seeing women doing the work, what are, what, what is their dating experience become if before it was like a job and it was sort of like, I don't know, really discouraging. Like if they were really discouraged, like this is never going to happen for me, whatever, what are you seeing them, them transform to in terms of that process? And then what are the kinds of men that they're meeting? The number one quality that I notice shifting is that they go from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. So they go from a you know, data driven, how many dates am I getting? How many swipes like, or whatever matches 
to, oh, what am I learning about myself through this process? Oh, what is this person reflecting back to me? Is this my match or is this someone who's an opposite? Is there some polarity at play? And, and what is that bringing up for me? And you know what? I had an amazing date. I don't think he's someone that will be someone I want to date, but here's what I learned about myself. Here's what I learned about what I want on dates in the future. Here's what I'm really appreciating about the masculine. Like it just becomes fun and it becomes, it's not wholesome. That's not the right word, but it becomes a journey to, to touching back into that wholeness within us, but also within humanity. So instead of looking at a date as checking the box to potentially meet someone to give me a ring, it's like, oh, I get to connect with all these amazing people in the world. And whether we have one message or one date or a year together or a lifetime together, like, wow, they're bringing me back to a place in myself where I feel open and growing and full of love and full of pleasure. So the shift is really from their head down to their heart and down to their bodies. And I know when a woman tells me like, this is kind of fun. I'm learning a lot about myself. You know, setting boundaries isn't so hard. Like I just kind of do this, I do that. And then I keep moving on. And yeah, I, you know, who cares if I meet my partner tomorrow or next week or in a month, because I'm just kind of learning a lot about myself and this is pretty awesome. And I don't really need a man to like do something in particular for me to be happy. Like I'm pretty happy as, as things are. And this is just a bonus that I get to spend time with these cool people. Mm, I love that. That's really inspiring. That feels like a, a delightful place to meet someone from. <laughs> yes. Like I would imagine if I were the masculine meeting that woman, it would feel very attractive um, versus like the woman who's looking for like, okay, so where do you live? What are your plans? What do you want to do in the future? Like the, the kind of interview style, it would be like, oh, I'm not sure about that. It wouldn't feel as inviting. And it would feel like there's more pressure on me as a man to quote unquote deliver rather than, oh, there's a, there's a space for me to step into. Like, this is fun. Like I'm, I'm vibing on her fun. Like I'm vibing on that, um, radiance. Yes. And it doesn't mean that you can't ask a man early on, what are you passionate about? Like, what do you want in your life? What do you see in, in your future? And not from an interview standpoint, but more like a, Hey, this is what I'm excited about. I'm about community. I'm about art. I'm about creativity. I'm about dancing. I'm about, you know, creating really solid connections with my friends and my colleagues and my, you know, future partner, whether that's you or someone else. Like I always tell the person, the the women I coach to say, talk about whatever you want, including your heart's desire for relationship, but always put on the caveat, like, Hey, it doesn't have to be with you, but this is what I, this is what I think would be amazing. And, and you might have a different life vision or you might have different things that feel good to you or excite you than the other person, but it comes across so much more authentic and grounded and purposeful, if I can say that versus like you said, the dating from the head, dating from the checklist. And there's also a lot of ego in that, like, Oh, well, I'm going to judge this guy because he only wants this. And I want that. Like it just becomes a negotiation and you lose all the juice and all the joy. Mm, Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I want to talk about sex before we wrap as we're moving into the later stages of the podcast, because part of what I feel like is in this conversation is sex and all of that, um, excitement and that joy and that, um, possibility that you named of like, here's what I'm excited about. Here's what I'm passionate about. Like, how about you? Like, that's where a lot of sexual pleasure comes from too. That feeling of aliveness, that feeling of, um, creativity and joy and just like movement, right? Like movement in life, not just movement in the body, but it's sort of like 
they're connected. And so I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to like, what is the sexual journey that your women go on in terms of, um, I'm imagining some of them show up maybe closed down or shut down to kind of owning their sexuality more. Like what, what is that like? Connect to the pussy. (laughs) When you're not connected to your female center, you can call it whatever you want to call it anatomically or otherwise. It's really hard for you to know what feels good sexually, for you to know what turns you on, what turns you off. And men can tell. I I find ironically that when a woman is suppressing or disconnected from her sexuality, she attracts the guys who really want sex. It's like they can tell that she's disconnected and they almost want to bring that out of her or connect her back to that. And I'm not making them the heroes or something. It's just it's just this strange thing that the more a woman is connected to her sexuality, the more healthy of men that she attracts who are also healthily connected to their sexuality. So that's an important point. If a woman's like, why am I even doing this? I don't want to have to connect to my sexuality. It will help you attract healthier partners and it will help you enjoy sex more. You know, so many of women, I know you've talked about this on your podcast, have pain during sex and, and it doesn't have to be that way. So obviously I know that there's some biological things that happen. And I'm not discounting the need for, for medical assistance at times, but oftentimes we just don't open a gateway to check in with our body energetically. Like, how am I feeling? What do I need? What would turn me on? What would feel pleasurable? What does my pussy need? You know, sometimes I ask myself that and she's like, you've been working way too hard. You need a nap. I need a nap. Sometimes she's like, I need more, more self-pleasure, like touch me, connect with me. And, and sometimes she's like, let's have some chocolate. (laughs) Like, but I have a relationship with her to the point where I was laughing about this with some of my clients on one of our alumni calls. Um, when I'm in the car driving and need a parking spot, I'll be like, pussy, bring me a parking space. Find me the perfect space because I'm not commanding her. I just know that she takes care of me and I take care of her. I love that. That's great. I'm going to try that. (laughs) That's a fun one. Um, that's cool. I, I also, I feel like you have so many legs to stand on too, Violet, because you are a survivor of sexual trauma. And I'm imagining, you know, a really high percentage of people, people, men and women, have a background of sexual trauma. And that is, you know, if, if, if you're, if, if that part of your body has been the scene of a crime, right, there's like some healing work that needs to be done for either side I'm imagining. And I just wanted to, um, for those that are interested, especially if this podcast makes its way to some women, which I imagine some people might send it to women friends. Um, Violet, you and I did a whole episode about the Jade egg. Yes. The Jade Egg is an amazing tool. I love working with the Jade Egg. It's a it's a yoni egg. I won't get too much into it, but it's from a tradition that's a Taoist tradition. Over 4,000 years ago in China in the Yellow Emperor um, time frame. And what's really cool about it is it's both used by the courtesans, which were the people in the, you know, in the royalty that were providing sexual pleasure, but it was also used by shamans, by female shamans in that lineage to help women heal from sexual trauma and connect to their bodies. And it increases fertility and helps our menstrual cycles and all of that. So I can't speak about that highly enough, but the Jade Egg, creating a connection with your body. And then also knowing that 
there's power there, not power to use against men and withhold sex or to manipulate. But I have a practice in my course called flirt from your treasure. And it's like understanding that your feminine is a treasure. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to, you know, try to compare to other women or to societal ideals. Like you are the queen, you are connected to your treasure and you get to flirt from that place of, of feeling good. Mm, I like that. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, um, you know, some of the men that have shown up in our program have attracted like pretty shut down women Mm -hmm. or women with a history of sexual trauma who aren't really dealing with it. And I'm curious if you were to be giving those men some advice, like men can only help women so much in terms of opening up. Like a lot of that's about her choice uh, around choosing to grow or not. What, what advice would you give a man who is relating with a woman who's pretty shut down in that area? Number one, don't shame her, which is obvious, but I dated men in the past who would be like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you like sex? Or how can you say the same thing every time? Like, cause I was just kind of in this habitual loop because I was more in a freeze state oftentimes during sex. So the, the best thing I think they could do is to hold space and be curious, say, you know, I'm noticing that I don't feel you as much when we're having sex. Like, it seems like you go somewhere or you aren't as present or, you know, I'm noticing that since we started dating, you don't seem to be as sexually interested in me or in our relationship sexually than before. Like we've kind of turned into roommates and that really doesn't feel good for me. Like, I love you. I think you're so sexy. I want to, even if you don't love them yet, cause it's too soon in the dating, like a create a safe space, share what you notice and then reinforce like that you are attracted to them and you want more, but that there seems to be something coming up that is beyond the scope of just the two of you. Like, I think a lot of men think if something comes up in a relationship, I've got to fix it. I've got to solve it. I've got to be the perfect man. Honestly, one of the best things Jason ever did for our relationship is he found a somatic therapist that could be a couples therapist. I didn't think less of him for that. I thought more of him for that. I was like, oh my God, he found a resource. Who's this perfect, like, um, guide for us because there were things coming up that we just could not get through by ourselves. And I think sexuality is, is part of those things. So whether you as a couple see someone or whether you just say like, Hey, I just think this would be something cool to explore. We can explore together. You know, we can explore Yoni massage or tantric practices or breathwork practices or sex magic or all of these different tools. Or, you know, I would feel even more solid about continuing relationship and even getting to the next step with you, whether it's engagement or moving in or all of that. If I knew that you were also doing work on this part. So it's not a threat. It's not an ultimatum. It's just saying the type of relationship I want to have is where both partners are growing. And this feels like it's a bit of a block and it might prevent me from wanting to continue. And I, I mean that with love, but I want to support you in finding some resources and support so that you're not just leaning on me. Yeah. And that's a really complicated conversation to have, but I think it's an important one because I've seen men that sort of stay with shutdown women that don't want to do the work. And part of that is, you know, you as a man determining what your boundaries are. What are your boundaries? What do you really want in a relationship? And I think that that sort of touches on scarcity mindset, right? Some, some of us may stay in a relationship because it's like, well, I've been in it for a long time. So I've invested or, well, I'm not really sure anyone else would be with me. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And so they tolerate a relationship where they're not really happy or they're not really getting their needs met or they don't really feel like they're growing individually or together. And that's a, that's a, you know, you got to reflect on where your actual boundaries are. And I think that's another place where, yeah, like getting a, getting a, a mentor, having some other person in your life that you can speak to about that and how you're going to open up that, that conversation. Like it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's a necessary thing to do if you want to live the fullest life that you can, rather than sort of staying stuck in a relationship pattern that isn't bringing you your, your, your full expression. Like there's a, um, a couple's therapy modality. I don't remember the name of it, but it's like a, it's a specific like eight session, um, eight session modality. And they're like, not everyone's going to make it. These eight sessions are going to help you determine whether this relationship works or not. And if it doesn't, you know, then it doesn't, it's, it's sort of like a, you know, if you're, if you're just looking to fix it, no matter what, don't do this modality. This modality is about like, what's here, what, you know, what's the compatibility? Because if you're with a partner who's determined not to grow, like Mm -hmm. you got to make a choice there. Like, is that, is that the life that you want to live or are you ready to step into something else and something possibly bigger with more growth potential for you and likely your partner? But really it's at the end of the day, it's a lot about like, who are you? What do you want? What do you want the expression of your life to look like? And is this the partner that is going to be able to, to do that with you? And I think that's why it's so cool that pillars of presence exist because for any man who's listening to this thinking, well, how do I know if a woman has done her work and does it really matter because she seems to get me and she seems to be cool and she, you know, is attractive. And like, if you think that someone is okay, you know, good enough, but she hasn't really done her work, there is an expiration date to that. Like the beauty fades, the um, having fun and being cool, like that also can only take you so far. So choosing a woman as you're dating, this is for men and women, who's growth oriented, who's just as committed to growing themselves as they are the relationship is so important. I mean, it might feel like scary, like, oh, well, how do I find, I can barely get a date, let alone find a woman like that. But I find that when you raise your standards, the universe meets you with that. Like if you're clear, you might have to maybe wait a little longer, but it's, it's worth it versus getting into a relationship that's not serving you. And so asking a woman questions early in the process, like, um, what has been hard for you? Like, what have you learned about yourself? Where do you get support in your life? Who are people that you're connected with that you can rely on when you're going through a tough time? Like be curious about her experience, be curious about her interiors and the, for the right woman that will actually make her more attracted to you. I mean, on our first date, Jason asked me, what do you think your purpose is? And I was like, whoa, okay. That's a big question for our first date. And he just said, I'm so sick of dating women who are superficial in LA. I really need a partner with depth. My last partner could not grow with me. And, and that ended our relationship. And we spent four years together and I will not do that again. And even though a part of me was super shocked that he asked me that question, I also felt like, wow, this is someone who really is doing things in their life, who wants to give back, who wants to be of service. And so it brought us closer because on the first date we talked about so many deep things. I wasn't really thinking to myself, Oh, are we going to have another date? Do I like him? I was like, whatever happens, I'm, I'm connecting with him and I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm, I'm, um, discovering what's important to me about dating and relationship versus, Oh, we had fun or we didn't, or he paid or I paid, or, you know, I wore this, like we just, it cut through all the BS. 
Yeah, I love that. That's such an inspiring story, especially because, you know, he led in that and you followed, right? It's interesting because I, I remember uh, speaking with a man a while back who said, he, he was like, I've only ever attracted women with um, sexual trauma. Like all of my partners have had sexual trauma. And he was like, my current girlfriend has sexual trauma. The difference is she's dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a different pattern. I kept attracting the same like pattern of women. It's just that I've I've been doing my work and I attracted someone who's dealing with it. She's got support. Like she's, you know, she's getting what she needs. And he's like, that's, it makes all the difference. So it's not like you're automatically just going to attract someone who's like perfect. It doesn't mean that. But as I have found that I, as I've witnessed men going through pillars, the quality of women that they're attracting. And by quality, I really just mean willingness to do the work and, and grow. And like you said, growth mindset and be show up, be seen, be vulnerable, all of that. They've attracted women um, who are growing way more than, than they did before pillars and their leadership, I think is also unlocking more of that vulnerability in the women that they're relating with. So there's this double, um, bonus that happens of like, they're attracting different kinds of women. And then because they're leading in a different way, because they've been doing their growth work, then she's showing up in a different way. Because like the reason that you were able to show up in the way that you did on that date was in part because of Jason leading he led you in that conversation and you met him there. It wasn't like he was completely passive and you just did all of the work. Like he was showing up leading and you were, and you were following, you know, almost like in a, in a dance when one partner is, is a strong leader and is is leading his follow, you know, it's going to look tremendously different than, than a, a follow or a leader who's a bit passive or holding back or not, you know, boldly going where he wants to go, there's a different quality to that dance. Definitely. And I like that analogy because it speaks to in order for a woman to follow a man in a dance, she has to be not only surrendered and receptive, but she also has to be connected to her body. She has to know what it feels like to lean into him and to let him lead and to not like try to control her foot. But yet at the same time, her foot moves where, where it needs to go. And I think that's a way that a man can tell pretty early in the dating process, maybe not over the apps, but when you have a video date or when you meet in person, how comfortable does she feel in her body? How can I feel her, like her hips, her, it's like the rumble in the jungle, this like, um, flow, like this river energy that when you're around someone in their, you're her feminine, you can feel because there's a little bit of movement. There's a solidness, a groundedness, but there's also like a, a stirring or a, this tumbling energy that feels really delicious to the masculine and, and delicious to the woman when you're in that energy. So looking for embodiment, looking for depth, you know, does she want to go deep like you do? And does she invite you in? If, if something comes up for her, whether she's annoyed at you because you planned last minute or whether she's anxious because she hasn't heard from you, does she just say like, it's fine? Or does she invite you in? Now, maybe she doesn't feel safe to invite you in because of the way that you're leading or because of something from her past. But I think a woman who's done the work will be willing to be vulnerable and risk saying, yeah, it didn't feel good that you said you'd call and you didn't. I understand life gets busy, but I I really missed you. I like hearing your voice. You know, that's a way to express things without just saying, oh, it's fine. Or playing the revenge game and then just not getting back to the person for three days. (laughs) Yes. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate you speaking to that dynamic. Cause I think, 
it's such a big deal, at least in terms of my, my journey too, of, of showing my heart, like really being willing to show my heart to a man and then sort of gauge, like, how is he showing up in response to that? Is he getting defensive? Is he shutting down? Or is he like, oh, tell me more about that. I need, this is important for me to know. I want to hear, you know, it's a way for me to gauge his level of leadership. Um, and I wouldn't get to gauge that if I wasn't willing to express, express my hurt or express my delight and be, be fully embodied in it, like you said. So mm-hmm. I think um, just to come back to something that you said of being expressive in your displeasure and being expressive in your pleasure, I think something that I hear from men a lot is sort of like, I can never really do it right. Like I just feel like criticized a lot by, by women and I don't really feel like I'm getting the, the positive and only getting the negative. And I do think that there's a tendency or there can be a tendency that when a man is quote unquote doing it right or doing what he's supposed to, I'm using that in quotations, that it's like the woman won't necessarily say anything, like won't give him props or won't express delight. But if something's done wrong, then she's expressive. <laughs> and so that that isn't a dynamic that necessarily works. And so it feels to me like as I've become more embodied, I'm more likely to express delight and I'm more, you know, able to bring, bring that joy through my body and show it to the person I'm relating with, which I think brings him a lot of energy and makes him want to relate more rather than I'm only sort of told when something's wrong, not when something's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I have so much compassion for men and for women, you know, dating is not easy. I think relationship is the most complex thing we do in our, in our life, especially now. And when a woman opens her heart, I mean, for myself, I can just say, it literally feels like I'm dying. Like that's the level of risk that it feels like when I open my heart. But I've realized that that's the only way to, like you said, assess if someone can hold my heart, if they're worthy of me continuing to spend time with them and open my heart again and again. And us opening our heart is what moves the masculine and inspires the masculine. Not that they need to see us in pain, but without us opening the heart, it's hard for them to know what's at stake. Like everything is more theoretical until they really feel the impact that they're having on us. Yeah. I feel like that's a whole other episode and we're going to start to wrap now, mm-hmm. but I think that's, that's a really good point in terms of the difference between like, well, when you said this, I felt this way and actually expressing like crying or emoting or embodying that is a totally different thing than what we are taught to do, which is like, be clean about it, be emotionless, you know, list these things like that doesn't really work, but it's what we're taught to do. At least what I feel like I've been taught to do in relationship is to kind of relate from this sort of, um, heady place. Like if there's a problem, you talk about it and you list out the things and you, and it's like, yeah, but that's kind of a second stage way of doing it. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't always inspire either partner. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it's necessary, but not sufficient. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Okay. So we're going to start to wrap here. Um, I would say just like, you know, if you could just touch on if there's a man listening, who's like, well, yeah, I want to relate with a third stage woman. Like what are two things he should look for or be attuned to as he's dating to kind of understand if, if that is this woman. I would say the number one thing is, does she seem connected to her body, like relaxed and there's a little bit of flow and movement in her body. Number two, does she invite you into her experience? Is she expressive? Is she responsive? Can you tell both through her body and through her words and her language, um, what she likes, what she doesn't like. And then the third thing is, 
is again, it's a little bit more talky, but talking about what you're passionate about, what she's passionate about, you want to know that she has meaning and substance in her life beyond just wanting to be in partnership. But on the other hand, that it's not that she's addicted to her work as her, as her source of value. And there's nothing wrong with being a boss babe, but if that's the only thing and she's more in her head, and like you said, just kind of doing Netflix at the end of the day, there's not as much radiance or warmth or like fuel for the relationship because the feminine part, the partner who's more in her feminine brings the fuel and the partner more in their masculine brings the structure and the direction. And so her having a vision and, and a felt sense of what she is all about will make sure the relationship can continue. Mm, love it. Hey guys, this is Mel. And this is Jason. You've probably heard me on at least a few episodes by now. And we coach together in part because we know that it's when the masculine and the feminine come together that we are the most powerful. So we wanted to let you know about a free training that we put together for you guys. It's about how to take back control of your love life. We are absolutely inspired to help guys like you take all of the amazing ideas that Mel has introduced to you on this podcast and actually put them into practice, bring them into your life to create lasting change. So if you're interested in that, just go to evolutionary.men slash training to sign up. If you've been looking for a way to go a little bit deeper than just this podcast, this is the opportunity for you. Again, that's evolutionary.men slash training, and you're going to get a much deeper dive with Mel and I. (laughs) 